Speaking of community and the invitation into it, a group of women here gather in a community called Rome. And as it suggests, they gather and they roam about. But it's more than just roaming about. They're about exploring their relationship with Jesus in very practical and personal ways. They just came back from a hike in the Colorado mountains, um, tackling a 14er, as one of them expressed uh, they just wanted to have a great time and not die. And as far as we know, all that went came back. Ages 23 to 63, uh, 14 of them uh, went to have an experience uh, with God, and they entitled it Rise Up. And uh, this was their daily guide for their times of focus with Jesus, and then a journal where they could capture those moments and uh, continue to reflect on them because they had confidence that when God speaks, he actually wants us to hear. And they wanted to capture what he's offering and then simply offer themselves to God, what would you have me do with what you've said? And so they've come back filled up with that. They're wearing purple shirts with something that looks similar to that uh, image on the front. They did commit to having washed them before they wore them again today. But regardless, we're just glad they're back and that they have shared an experience of community that just began with a first step. Hi, I'm so-and-so, who are you? And that led to multiple activities together throughout the last several months and then this adventure in Colorado. So take advantage of community opportunities, initiate them if that's what's rising in you or be a part of them as you uh, desire. Speaking of community opportunities, this week on Wednesday night here in the backyard, we have an opportunity to gather and invite family, friends, whoever it may be, to join us for Heartland Summer Nights. And it's right here on our campus. And a really fun evening. This is an evening where live music, uh, live food, and some dessert will be available for us as well. But what's most available is community. Community, an opportunity to connect and interact and discover who each other is and uh, develop community. So come bring your community or come connecting for the sake of community this Wednesday night, 6.30 right here in the backyard. Also this month, we're focused on school beginning. Hard to believe it, but it is just right around the corner. But our opportunity is to serve those who are headed back to school. And this is with backpack provisions. And uh, we're inviting all of Heartland to say, hey, let's go out and grab a backpack or two with school supplies in it. Those supplies are listed on the website, so you don't have to remember them, but go ahead and look them up and go get those supplies, load up some backpacks, and bring those the last Sunday of the month, July 25th. And that'll help us serve families and children as they prepare to head back to school in the middle of August. So take advantage of that. We as a community can bless our community by offering that kind of provision for them. We have been trafficking in an offer of God through Jesus through this series, Ready for More. We've been exposing ourselves to these invitations of God to experience more and more of Jesus, experience his promises, experience them fulfilled in, in us. And we're continuing in that series, Ready for More, this morning. Dan Jacobson has been here about a week, a little over a week, moving into his new home, but he's also been moving into Heartland, and we've been so excited to have him here with us. And Dan is coming this morning to offer us the next perspective of God's invitation to us, Ready for More Unity. So join me in welcoming Dan as he comes this morning. Dan, come on up. 
Awesome. Hey, Harlan, how we doing? Good. We're good. You ready for more? Uh, hey, what's up, everybody watching online? It's good to see you as well. Can we make some noise for all the people? You know, there's hundreds of people who watch and tune in online with us, which is one of the greatest gifts that God's ever given to the church is the fact that we can take a camera and welcome you into this space as well, and we feel your presence here. And I just want to say thanks for uh, jumping in with us. I know you're ready for more as well. Uh, hey, do you ever, um, you know, uh, on your Google, you know, uh, the, the th times when you run into the, the rabbit hole on Google, those those... YouTube searches, you stumble across things on the internet that just blow your mind. Different, not, not cat things, you know, not, not like animals, but like, like scientific laws that you didn't know existed that bring you back to like your, your freshman year physics class or your science classes and you're like, I didn't even know. I had no, I ran across one of those the other day uh, about something I think I learned in science class, but I really wasn't paying attention, sorry. <clears throat> uh, called entropy. Anybody ever hear of entropy? Entropy is this ridiculous idea that the world is destined to chaos. Now how many people have heard about entropy? <laughs> right. I mean, that explains my yard. Uh, entropy. It's a new gardening technique. Uh, uh, entropy is really freaky when you um, pair it with another law that I discovered the other day called Hubble's law. Hubble is the guy with the telescope. And he, you maybe heard, heard of this one, he discovered that there's a law in the universe of expansion. Did you guys know that the universe is actually expanding? Does anybody know this? Right, so it's like a loaf of bread that you need and you put in the oven and then it rises and all of a sudden things are doing this. So um, entropy, that things are destined towards chaos and then uh, Hubble's law, that things, the world is expanding. At some point, people are theorizing that the universe is gonna rip in half. Be warm and well-fed, we'll see you next week. Like, not a really comforting thought, is it? No, not at all. I, I also stumbled across this the other day that really explained every interaction I've ever had online. It was uh, called Godwin's Law. Godwin, Mike Godwin was a lawyer, and then in 1990, he made this law about the way that people would communicate on the internet. 1990, Mike Godwin said this. His law states, the longer a conversation persists online, the greater the probability that someone will invoke the name of Hitler or Nazis rises to one. So, so, 1990, this guy figured it out. The more people and the longer a discussion goes on online, someone's dropping the H-bomb. Have you ever been there? You're like, oh, that explains everything. Our world is not really destined uh, to stay together, is it? Uh, we kind of live in a, in a space where like, we feel this, and we felt this recently, and I feel it very deeply, but uh, we, we're in this space where it feels like people are very far apart. To make matters worse, almost all of our attempts today to like, bring people together feel like you're taking scotch tape and trying to tape together some wet water balloons. Like there's not enough flex seal in the world to keep people together today. Maybe um, on the job, you've rubbed up against your corporate culture to find that all the trainings on inclusion or uh, on, on in including others and coming together, all the monthly reports have not yielded unity. Maybe in your, uh, your, your, your job where you're working on a crew, you've got those people who have just been rubbing against each other the whole time and fighting against each other and working 
against each other and you experience entropy every day. Maybe you're a student who in your classes, you want to engage and you want to participate and you want to be a part of your school's community, but there's always those people who are there just to tear it down and to, to trash everyone around you. You wonder how you're supposed to get along with them, but maybe I can come closer to home. Maybe in your own family. Maybe in your own marriage or your own parenting or your relationship with your parents now that they're adults, you're kind of seeing things differently and realizing, man, we are not together on this at all. What do we need? We need unity. Unity. I think everybody here feels this desire that we would have unity amongst each other, that we would live in this united, I mean, we even call our country this, right? The United States of America. When we have unity, things would be blessed. And let's not kid ourselves. Jesus' followers are some of the most non-unified people in the world today, aren't we? I mean, we got to just call it for what it is. Here in the church, you know, what Hubble observed in space actually sadly happens amongst people of faith, sometimes very publicly. In fact, if you're new to church or you're newer to church, one of the reasons that maybe you've left the church in the first place or you didn't give the church a fair shot in the first place is because you watched Christians you watch people who claim to follow Jesus say one thing with their message and live totally different lives with their behaviors. And it's maybe given you a case of church PTSD. The church's inability to come together and to be reconciled and be united has been one of the things that has kept our example and of who our God is from many people. And I want to name that today. I want to speak that into our consciousness so that we can hear something about what we do with that. Maybe it's just helpful if you found your way back to church and you've come through a really tough season of, of, of coming to God. You don't really know how that's gone or you're coming in this place with some church wounds. I want you to know we get it. I get it. But more than that, Jesus gets it. Because here's the hope. None of this today, none of 2020, none of 2021 actually surprises the one who's on the throne of the world at all. You know that, right? And to prove this to you, I want to point us to a prayer that Jesus actually prayed the night that he was betrayed, right before he was going to die. It's found in John chapter 17. If you've got a phone or a Bible, I'd just love for you to flip open. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's kind of lengthy and really long. But I want us to, to, to set ourselves up to see what Jesus did about the disunified nature of the world and of his church. He did one thing. You know what he did? He prayed. I know, I know, that sounds really like a cop-out. That sounds like such a soft thing. Like he prayed, come on, why couldn't he like call down angels and actually do something about this? I think that if we were to look at the content of this prayer, to understand why he prayed it and what he prayed for, along the journey, we would discover something about unity that we all need and desire. So if you're up for that today, who's, who's ready for more unity in this space? Online, you're ready for more unity? You can type it in the chat, I'm ready. I'm ready for more. No one's ready for more? All right, all right, all right. That was not rhetorical. All right, so uh, John 17, I'm not gonna read the whole thing because it's really long, but I wanna clue us into one verse. Jesus has been praying for himself in the first part of the verses, and then he switches and he prays for his followers, the people who believe in him, who are following him. He, he prays for, for them about what's gonna happen to them after Jesus dies on the cross, rises from the dead, and ascends to heaven. Notice the thing right before he dies, this is what Jesus prays. He says this, he says, Holy Father, 
protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that, and then can you say this next part with me out loud? They may be as we are one. It's a beautiful thing. See, the heart of Jesus for his followers is that after he died and rose and ascended into heaven, he wanted them to be protected in power and united in purpose. What strikes me about this prayer isn't necessarily the words that he prayed, but but more the timing with which he prayed it. These are words that came from Jesus' heart the very hours before he was going to be betrayed, arrested, and condemned to die. These are almost like the last words of Jesus, so to speak, which gives us a little bit more oomph behind the way that we hear them. Both of my grandfathers have, uh, have, have died and have gone on. I, they, they knew Jesus, so I don't have any qualms with where they are today. But my grandpa Jacobson, when he was dying, my family knew like the end was coming for him. He was speaking less. Um, Around his bedside, we would lean in a little bit more. We would stop talking ourselves and give him space to talk when he wanted to say something. And, And the heart of my grandpa came out on his deathbed. He would say things like, take good care of your mom. Make sure you love your kids. Not really profound things, but, but heart level things. Things that like, we understood the, the, my grandpa was Norwegian, which means his motto was conceal, don't feel, right? Frozen was written about the Jacobson family. <laughs> On his deathbed, we got a chance to glimpse into his heart to see what actually mattered to him. And, and, and this is what I want to put before us. It's the eve of Jesus' death, and this is what really matters to him, is that you and I would actually find that you were one. This is what mattered to Jesus. This is what he asked God Almighty to accomplish amongst his people, is that we would come together. That, that he, he loves us so much that he wants me and you, you and me, to become a we, just like him and God were a we. He says, make them one as we are one. And this is fascinating. We'll jump into it in a second. But just a question. Why did Jesus pray for us to be one? Why didn't he just pray for us to have more faith and having more faith, we'd you know, be better people? Why didn't he just pray for us that we would be safe from harm? Why didn't he just pray that? That'd be great. Why didn't he pray that we would be strong or just you know, better people in general? I think he prayed for us to be one because Jesus knows and he knew exactly how easy it is for us to destroy what was built and how quickly division can occur amongst people. You know, I was thinking about uh, division and building things this week because I just moved into my, my house. Um, I'm not too far from the church here in Johnson County. We bought a house in a blazing market thanks everybody who's not selling their houses. It was really helpful. And uh, Kristen, uh, who's my wife, we, we've got three kids. They're, they're out on vacation right now. I've been here in Kansas, and I've got a honeydew list that's the size of Texas. Right? Like, you move into the house, and we made the mistake of, like, um, doing all of the nice things to our last house, and then we sold it. So we're like, hey, Here's an opportunity for us to do the nice things and then enjoy them. And so I've been thinking about this a lot because as Christmas has gone, I've been working in the days, spending time at night, me and my little pup have been destroying the house. 
to give you a glimpse of what I've been doing, here's just a quick video that I, I shot of, of myself this week. Um, this, is, this is the very nice floor that we purchased. And um, this floor, I, I, as I pulled it up, just kind of plank by plank, which is, let me just be honest, guys, I'm a pastor. Uh, that's pretty good technique, right? I mean, come on. If, if ever this doesn't work out, maybe I can uh, do that full time. I don't want to do that full time. I'm walking around like Keith Richards today because I feel so like brutally bad. But um, here's, here, here's the point. That floor has been down since Y2K. And it took a pastor with a crowbar and a hammer to rip it up in, I'm not exaggerating, three hours. A lot of damage can be done by people who aren't trained in the things that have been placed by skillful hands. What Jesus was doing when he said, make them one as we are one, he was getting around from our own propensity to destroy the things that are most valuable in our lives. The things like relationships, things, things like, 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 like your employment, things like your calling and your career, things like your own purpose in life. But, but most importantly to Jesus, his own church. Jesus knew that his followers would have the capacity with untrained hearts and untrained hands to rip apart which took him that long to build. Here's the kicker. That floor had been down for decades. After just three hours, this is what it looked like. Yeah. Next time you see my wife, just let her know I was working hard, okay? Please. Good gracious. You know what's crazy about this is... Um, it's, it's going to take me probably till Christmas to put it back together. If you think I'm exaggerating, you don't know my skills. <laughs> what God plants can so easily become uprooted. What God builds can so easily become destroyed. If we let it. And so Jesus calls out to his father, knowing that his work was finishing, that his hour was coming, that he was about to go and pay the penalty for sin. He was about to give up his own body and his own blood to, to make atonement for the, the world, to come back to God, to reconcile us, to bring us to God so that we could be one. Jesus, on, a, on the eve of this work he was about to do where he was gonna give up his own life so that he could die and then be resurrected to new life, Jesus cries out and he says, Father, make them one. And I want to be a part of a community that's united, don't you? I mean, if, if anything that we've learned about the news over the last couple of months or years is that we are not a united people and all of us want to be a united people. So, Jesus prays. He wants his followers to be builders, not destroyers. He, you see, he prays. He says, let them be one. And then notice what he says, as we are one. That's where the emphasis is. As we are one. In, in his prayer in John 17, 11, Jesus creates a comparison. Here's what our unity is compared to. Our unity is compared to the unity that Jesus has with his own father. His desire is for us together to mimic the relationship between God the Father and Jesus the Son. Have you ever thought about the differences between God the Father and Jesus the Son? Maybe you're new to church and you're like, no, I haven't because this has always confused me. There's this thing called the Trinity. I don't even understand it. And let me give you just a little hint. A lot of Christians don't understand it either. It's okay. Here's what you need to know is that God the Father, Jesus the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all one. 
They're one, they're, they're, they're perfectly equal and yet they're distinct. God is not the same and yet he's the same. Right. Jesus is crying out to his father. Father, make them who are different one, just like we who are different are one. This is a core to the belief of Christianity, this idea that Jesus is God, that he was different from God the Father, but he was of the same substance as God the Father. So that when Jesus died on the cross, God was both being just for punishing sins, but he was also being merciful by paying the penalty for our sins. In John 8, the religious people are trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to compare him to whether or not Jesus was greater than Moses. And Jesus kind of stood up at this big festival, caused this scene, and he, he caused chaos. And he said this one day, he said, um, I and the Father are one, meaning they're united, which is incredible. The unity between Jesus and the Father, we would call it, is indivisible. A lot of the weddings that I officiate the couple will try and commemorate this moment by doing something symbolic. And so a lot of the weddings lately, the couples have been taking different colored sands. Have you seen this? Where they take different colored sands and they pour them into the same jar. This idea is that as the, as the grains of sands intertwine together, they cannot be separated apart. So their lives are to be intertwined and together and not separated apart in the future. But even this is a little bit of a shallow way to express the unity of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are not different substances. They are not of different colors that are just mixed together. They are the same substance that is just expressed differently. It defies language. The best that Jesus can do is to say, we are one. And I think this sounds amazing for us to think that Jesus wanted us to reflect the same unity that he experienced with the Godhead. To think that there is possible this beautiful unity in which it's possible for all of us to live as one. Where all of us respond together in light of whatever situation we're facing. Where we choose healing over fighting. Where just our presence together in oneness reflects the same oneness of our great God. I want to belong to that group of people. So here's the real question. If this is the prayer for God to unite us like he and Jesus are united, why is unity so elusive for us today? If it's so important to God, why is it so hard for us? And the answer to this question, of course, comes from Toy Story. You, what? You, you never watched Toy Story? Okay, well, here. Last week, Brad brought up uh, Shawshank Redemption, but I'm a Christian. <clears throat> so, <laughs> just kidding, Brad. Uh, never mind, we don't have time for that. I love that dude. All right, so um, my favorite characters in Toy Story are these guys right here. Uh, help me out. What are these? I'll put them right here just to help. What are they? Army men. Army men, yes. I love how they're always the one who are like out going to scope things out. They're all hustling, bustling. And um, when we think of unity, this is kind of what we think of, is we think of a unit. We, we think of um, people who go together, who follow the same orders, who have maybe their structure, but they're all one unit. They speak the same code words. They have the same language. They wear the same uniforms and um, they fight the same 
enemies. These guys here, they, this is exactly what we think of. They're all the same color. They're all on the same mission together. Uh, this guy, I've never understood. Is this guy calling in a chopper? I don't even know. He's like, code five, come on. Uh, and and this, is, this is what we have um, together. Or how about these guys? Now, I've never played with them. <clears throat> I actually just learned a lot about these today. But who is this? This one's seen better days. I found out um, that back in like the 50s, Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head, you just got the parts and you actually had to supply your own potato. Yes. Did you know that? I, I'm, thank God I'm a millennial. Okay. Uh, so, so Potato Head, right? The, the allure of this is like, you know, you can do all these fun things. You can pop things off and rearrange things. And oh my goodness, the nose went, actually that kind of looks better. Um, and, and we kind of get the sense of unity here in like a, in a, I guess for all intents and purposes, a husband and a wife. Where, where um, I don't know, can I make him hold hands? I don't, for some of you, this is the weirdest moment in church you've ever had. <laughs> what is happening here? You know, uh, where you've got this unit of a marriage and, and they're both spud-like in their appearances and they both enjoy the same things. They've got, you know, rearrangeable features and their sameness is expressed in the fact that they're together. Okay, now, um, I'd never really played with Army Men or Mr. or Mr. Potato Head. When I was growing up, um, I, I was more about these guys. Oops, who are these? Not Star Wars, come on. The more basic, the, the, the people who make these things. Yes, this guy's gonna sit because um, I can't. Nope, he can't, there we go. Um, yeah, Legos, not in Toy Story, just for the record, I understand. But um, these, goodness. That's how I feel this is going right now. <clears throat> so, uh, so Legos, right? And what I love about Legos is like there, there's all these things. As long as you have other Legos, you can like mix and match all the parts and all the pieces and you can, you know, throw this guy and oh my goodness, doesn't that look funny? My kids will do this for hours and they'll put like helmets on things and they'll come back and they'll show me. My one son, Miles, he literally comes up to me every five minutes. He goes, dad, what's different? And I hate that game because I'm always like, I switched the pants. You're like, oh, cool, great. Good job, buddy. You did awesome. I love it. Um, now, when we think about unity, this is a little bit what we think about. We think of, not, not Legos and army men, but, but we think about sameness, right? The, the fact that all of these are together, all of, that guy's great. All of these are, t are, are the same, are the same, are the same. But which one is right? Okay, that's maybe an unfair question. They're all just inanimate objects. Um, but what if the army men decided that the most heroic people are the ones who fight for freedom and the spuds, they can grow on Mars, but they can't fight for freedom. How would they work together? You're like, this is getting even weirder. What if, um, you know, it was determined that the people who had radios were the ones who were really the, the best people, and so these two guys could get together because they got, they got radios. Um, meanwhile, everybody else is kind of left, left out. What, what if it was more like, you know, people with rearrangeable body parts are the ones who, you know, these guys and these guys kind of get together. And here's, here's what I'm trying to push at. Our definition of unity often dis disintegrates to this idea of sameness, that for us to be united means we all have to become the same. And so the church tends to pump out 
different followers of Jesus who dress a certain way and talk a certain way and have the same code words and put their shoes on the same way, comb their hair the same way. And for you to be accepted, you have to be on the same mission as us. You have to be the same background as us. You have to wear the same colors as us. You have to say the same code words as us. You have to fight the same enemies as us. If you ever wondered why churches split all the times, it's because we've decided that unity means same. But what did Jesus pray? He didn't pray, make them the same as we are the same. He prayed, make them one as we are one. Which means one of our problems with thinking about unity is, is really just a matter of definitions. When we think of unity, we think of sameness, but when, when God thinks of unity, he thinks of differences. Here's a quote um, from a, a guy who's a pastor. Spoiler alert, also, he was my grandpa. Um, his name's Warren Wearsby, and he said it this way, and I, I want to quote him. I promise not to quote him too many times, but this one's really helpful. He said this. He said, unity without diversity is uniformity. What you and I often think of as unity, being united together, is really just all of us looking the same, talking the same, fighting the same battles, fighting the same enemies, you know, coming together to the same spaces, looking alike. But a church that's uniform is not a church that's united. To have unity requires diversity. It requires the fact that all of us come from different spaces, from different generations, from different backgrounds, from different ethnicities, from different languages, from, from different sides of the political aisle even. For, for us to be united by necessity, for us to come together means we must have been a part of the first place. And so Jesus is in the business of bringing people who are different and diverse to come together to be one. And how does he do it? How, does, how do we make that leap from sameness to oneness? Again, um, back to Toy Story. Remember the moment that Buzz, because you all have seen Toy Story, right? I mean, gosh, goodness. All right, if you haven't, spoilers. Um, remember that moment when, when Buzz is kind of like, his, his arm has fallen off. He's over at Sid's house. He's kind of resolved that he's going to be dis, dismembered and, and destroyed on the rocket. And he's kind of given up on life. And the best line of the movie, in my opinion, is when Woody kind of slaps him in the face and he says, over in that house, there is a guy who thinks the world of you, kid, not because you're a space ranger, but because you're his toy. You are his toy. And what does Woody do? He looks at Buzz and he lifts up Buzz's foot. And on the bottom of Buzz's foot is what? Andy. The name of the one who has brought all of them together. There, there is a name that has united all of these toys to be one. The name is Andy. And, and it's been hiding in plain sight for all of us. I, I kind of neglected to point this out, but how does Jesus bring us together? Well, he does it because he's given us his name. I mean, look back at the verse with me for, for a moment. J Jesus says this. He says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your Name, the name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. Listen, friends, what makes us united is not who we are. What, what makes us united is not what we can do or how we can do it or that we can even conjure it up. 
We're not united because of who we are. We are united because of whose we are. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are brought together, not because of anything you've ever done, but because of who has stamped his name upon you. Which means for all of us, as we seek to live in a more unified, united world, the way forward is not through more trainings. The way forward is through diving deep into the name of Jesus. Wearing the name of Jesus is the only name that matters in heaven and on earth for us. The way forward for us to experience true unity is to, to, to embrace the name of Jesus, to understand the power in the name of Jesus. You realize that the name of Jesus is the only name that has captured people from all seven continents. I don't know if anybody lives on Antarctica, so I'll buffer it and say six continents. <laughs> Jesus' followers are the most diverse group of people on the entire planet. They, they live in almost every country across the globe. They speak thousands of languages. The, the Jesus followers exist in, in, in rural places, in suburban places, in, in urban places. They speak in South America, North America. They're even in Canada. <laughs> I know. Some of them are Chiefs fans. All, right, all of them are Chiefs fans. But not all Chiefs fans are all of them. It's a twist for you. The thing about Christ followers is that they welcome people from every background across the globe and across the world and across languages and across ethnicities, but they also welcome people who are different than them who live on their own block. Christ followers are people who have been welcomed into the family even though they were in prison. And Christ followers are some of the people who are the guards in the prison. Christ followers are both the judge and the citizen. Christ followers exist in every realm of this world. There is not a space in which Jesus' name has not gone, in which he has described and declared and, and brought about all of this unity out of the diversity of all humanity. You say, what do we need more of in this world? It's not politics. Amen? It's not money. It's not food. It's not food security, although that'd be great. What do we need more of? It's for you and I to embrace the name of Jesus and to understand that the name on the bottom of our foot is the one that unites us together. And, and what does Woody and Buzz do? They, they, they light the rocket. That's the moment when Buzz actually flies, right? They gather together, they put their differences aside, they gather together, the, tr the teamwork makes the dream work, and they get back with RC, right? And they, they get back and they honor Andy. And this is what Jesus prayed a little bit later in John chapter 11. He says this, John chapter 11, verse, I think it's 22. He says, I have given them the glory that you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. And notice what he says, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. There's this thing that happens. Jesus describes it. He says, I have been given to them, so it's, it's me living in them, and then you living in me. Notice how this works. It's a, it's a, it's a handoff. It's a trade-off. Jesus is describing to, to God the Father how we've become united. He says it's it's all about Jesus because Jesus, when we come to faith in him, he lives in us, but he's also in the Father. He's the linchpin between us. So that God the Father looks at Jesus the Son and he says, hey, you have a Father in me. 
And then Jesus, the son, looks at us and he says, hey, you have a father in me. So that when we look at each other, who bear the same name of Jesus, we can say to each other, because your father is in Jesus and my father is in Jesus, you have a friend. <laughs> but that's it, isn't it? You've got, you've got a friend in me. That's unity. Unity is when we realize where we all are connected together is not on this earth, but it's in heaven. Where we're all connected together is in the fact that you and I can come from different spaces and different backgrounds and different whatevers. We may think very differently about the ways that we should solve problems. I have a feeling that these guys would just build blocks and these guys would build, build bombs. We'd have to sort that out, but, but if we together have the same father, the way we approach one another is not by division or enemy or fighting, but by friendship, by leaning in together. A friend is someone who challenges you, who's there for you, who will listen to you, who will walk alongside of you, who will cry with you when you cry, who will laugh with you when you laugh, who will help you move boxes when you move into your house. A real friend is someone who will help you put down the hardwood floor in your house. And you know you're united when you're living out that friendship. It doesn't mean that you and your friend get along all the time or you want to go on vacation with them all the time or you want to even sit next to them all the time. There's sometimes when Chris and I will look at each other and say, should we invite these people today? And we go, I need a break. But that doesn't change our love for them, right? It just means we need a little space in this moment because friends sometimes need space. For us to be united people, the way Jesus and his father are united people, means you and I ought to look at what unites us. It's the name of Jesus, nothing else. Above our country, which we love, above our state, which we love, above our alma mater, is that one step too, too far? <laughs> to go straight to the source of our father. Jesus in him. And Jesus in us means us together. And what happens when we walk out a united life? Here's what happens. It's the rest of the verse. I saved it for now. Jesus prayed this. This is literally how he concludes it. He says, then the world will know. Wouldn't that be nice for the world just to have certainty about who God is? Then the world will know that you, God the Father, have sent me, Jesus the Son, and you've loved them, the world, even as you have loved me. What does it look like for us to be a ready for more type of a church? It means we are people who are willing to make space to build relationships because Jesus is first. That's what it looks like. For us to build relationships with one another, to build friendships with one another, all in the common unity that is found in Jesus. One of the ways that the church has been expressing this common unity is by partaking in communion. If you have your elements, I'd love for you to um, get those out because we'll be partaking of them together in a moment. But communion is, is a, a way that we remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It was uh, started the night that Jesus was betrayed. He was feasting with his friends, his disciples, and he 
like you would at a dinner party, he raised a glass of wine and he said, you know, this represents me. He broke some bread. He said, this represents me. But, but what he was doing in this moment was giving them a picture to remember his death and burial, which he was about to do. Uh, he, he was reminding them of the fact that his blood had to be spilled for this unity, that his body had to be broken for this unity, that in the rebuilding of the world, there had to be a little destruction that took place. And we celebrate communion today to say, thank you, God, that you did the destroying and the rebuilding building already. And here's the thing about communion. And this is one of the reasons why I think it's so important for us to be in person together. I love you being online and you're with us together here this way, but, but here's one of the reasons I think engaging back into church, plugging back into church is so important is this moment right here, right now. It's because you can't have communion without community. God has designed us to be united, which means to come together out of our isolation and back into community. And communion is the one vehicle by which God has given us the opportunity to look across the aisles, to look across the room, to remember the fact that God has out of many brought together one. God has done this thing amongst us where he's united all of us who declare in his name that he is our Lord and Savior and he's brought us together that all of us on our way to glory are being united as one. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you just to hold them because in a couple moments, um, Nick's gonna sing a song over us and then I'm gonna come back and lead us through actually eating and drinking this. So just hang on for a second. But, but while he's singing, I want you to, to ask this question. I want you to ask God, who would you have me befriend? Who would you have me be restored to? Who would you have me rebuild a relationship with? Because you've paid for that. I want you to ask this question, who is it in my life, God, that you're nudging me towards reconciliation with? Who are you asking me to come back together with? Who are you asking me to process together through some of life's either hurts or pains or disappointments? Knowing full well, that your body broken and your blood spilled for the purpose of unity. I wanna leave you right here, right now with that question as we all just kind of take a moment to just settle in and hold these elements together. I wanna to invite you to grab the bread. This bread represents the body of Christ that was actually, historically, it was broken and wounded so that we might experience forgiveness, restoration, wholeness, hope, and unity. And together, we do this together. Let's eat. That night that Jesus was betrayed, he also took the cup. And he uh, gave thanks and he told his disciples that this cup represents a new covenant in my blood, like a new contract, a new way of doing life, a new way of relating to God. It's through blood. Not our blood, through Jesus' blood. Jesus' blood has paid every ounce for our sin and our shame and our dysfunction and our destruction and he's rebuilt us into one people together. Let's drink.
Would you stand with me? I wanna pray to close our time together today. Father, I'm reminded of the fact that we do nothing to create this unity that you've given to us, but you've done it all through the blood of Jesus Christ, who was pierced for our transgressions, which means that he was, he was um, the one who took the penalty for our sins, that he paid it for us. God, you have united us already in your name. So help us, Lord, to manifest that to the world. Help us, Lord, to have the strength to put our own preferences aside. Help us, Lord, to have the compassion to be able to look at one another and to, to feel with the other. Help us, Lord, to have the humility to not think too highly of ourselves, but to think of others' interests as better than our own. Help us, Lord, to do what we just celebrated that you did, that you did not come seeking your own self, but you came to self-give and to sacrifice for your friends. We love you, God. Unite us together, Lord, we pray. All God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Well, I hope that you've uh, felt the love of God today and have been inspired to follow him that next step in your life. I, I am looking forward to seeing you all next week as we do one uh, additional ready for more topic, ready for more joy. And I know you're gonna be ready for joy. So I'll see you next week. Go in God's grace.